0: Chapter 11 of Lotus Buds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Grace. Lotus Buds by Amy Wilson Carmichael. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. God Heard, God Answered. Old Devi, with her vivid conversation about the one old devil and four younger, does not suggest a conciliatory attitude towards the people of her land, and it may be possible so to misinterpret the spirit of this book as to see in it only something unappreciative and therefore unkind. So it shall now be written down in sincerity and earnestness that nothing of the sort is intended. The thing we fight is not India or Indian in essence, or development. It is something alien to the old life of the people. It is not allowed in the Vedas, ancient sacred books. It is like a parasite which has settled upon the bough of some noble forest tree, on it, but not of it. The parasite has gripped the bough with strong and interlacing roots, but it is not the bough. We think of the real India as we see it in the thinker, the seeker after the unknown god with his wistful eyes. The Lord beholding him loved him, and we cannot help loving as we look. And there is the Indian woman hidden away from the noise of crowds, patient in her motherhood loyal to the light she has we see the spirit of the old land there and it wins us and holds us and makes it a joy to be here to live for india the true india is sensitive and very gentle there is a wisdom in its ways none the less wise because it is not the wisdom of the west this spirit which traffics in children is callous and fierce as a ravening beast and its wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And this spirit, alien to the land, has settled upon it, and made itself at home in it, and so become a part of it that nothing but the touch of God will ever get it out. We want that touch of God. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. That is why we write. For we write for those who believe in prayer, not in the emasculated modern sense, but in the old Hebrew sense— deep as the other is shallow we believe there is some connection between knowing and caring and praying and what happens afterwards otherwise we should leave the darkness to cover the things that belong to the dark we should be forever dumb about them if it were not that we know an evil covered up is not an evil conquered so we do the thing from which we shrink with strong recoil we stand on the edge of the pit and look down and tell what we have seen URGED BY THE LONGING WITHIN US THAT THE CHRISTIANS OF ENGLAND SHOULD PRAY. ONLY PRAY, DOES SOMEONE ASK? PRAYER OF THE SORT WE MEAN NEVER STOPS WITH PRAYING. WHATSOEVER HE SAITH UNTO YOU, DO IT, IS THE PRAYER SOLEMN AFTERWARD. BUT THE PRAYER WE ASK IS NO TRIFLE. LINES FROM AN AMERICAN POET UPON WHAT IT COSTS TO MAKE TRUE poetry COME WITH SUGGESTION HERE. DEEM NOT THE FRAMING OF A DEATHLESS LAY the pastime of a drowsy summer day. But gather all thy powers, and wreck them on the verse that thou dost weave. The secret wouldst thou know, to touch the heart, or fire the blood at will? Let thine eyes overflow, let thy lips quiver with a passionate thrill. Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the night Watches pour out thine heart like water before the Lord. Lift up thine hands toward him, for the life of thy young children. The story of the children is the story of answered prayer. If any of us were tempted to doubt whether, after all, prayer is a genuine transaction, and answers to prayer no figment of the imagination, but something as real as the tangible things about us, we have only to look at some of our children. It would require more faith to believe that what we call the answer came by chance, or by the action of some unintelligible combination of controlling influences, than to accept the statement in its simplicity, God heard, God answered. In October 1908, we were told of two children whose mother had recently died. They were with their father in a town some distance from Donover, but the source from which our information came was so unreliable that we hardly knew whether to believe it, and we prayed rather a tentative prayer. If the children exist, save them. For three months we heard nothing. Then a rumor drifted across to us that the elder of the two had died in a temple house. The younger, six months old, was still with her father. On Christmas Eve, our informant arrived in the compound with his usual unexpectedness. The father was near, but would not come nearer, because the following day being Friday, a day of ill omen, he did not wish to discuss matters concerning the child he would come on Saturday. On Saturday he came, carrying a dear little babe with brilliant eyes. She almost sprang from him into our arms, and we saw she was mad with thirst. She was fed and put to sleep, and hardly daring yet to rejoice, for the matter was not settled with the father. We took him aside and discussed the case with him. There were difficulties. A temple woman had offered a large sum of money for the child, and had also promised to bequeath her property to her. He had heard, however, that we had little children who had all been given to temples, and he had come to reconnoitre rather than to decide. The position was explained to him, but the temple meant to him everything that was worshipful. How could anything that was wrong be sanctioned by the gods? The child's mother had been a devout Hindu, and as we went deeper and deeper into things with him, it was evident he became more and more reluctant to leave the little one with us. Her mother would have felt it shame and eternal dishonor. We were in the little prayer room, a flowery little summer house in the garden, when this talk took place. On either side are the nurseries, and playing on the wide verandas were happy, healthy babes. Their merry shouts filled the spaces in the conversation. Sometimes a little toddling thing would find her way across to the prayer room and break in upon the talk with affectionate caresses. To our eyes everything looked so happy, so incomparably better than anything the temple house could offer that it was difficult to adjust one's mental vision so as to understand that of the Hindu beside us, to whose thought all the happiness was as nothing, because these babes would be brought up without caste. In the temple house, caste is kept most carefully. If a temple woman breaks the rules of her community, she is outcast, excommunicated. You do not keep caste? You do not keep caste? The father repeated over and over again in utter dismay. It was nothing to him that the babes were well and strong and as happy as the day was long, nothing to him that cleanliness reigned so far as constant supervision could ensure it through every corner of the compound. We did not profess to keep caste. We welcomed every little child in danger of being given to temples, irrespective altogether of her caste. All castes were welcome to us, for all were dear to our lord." This was beyond him, and he declared he would never have brought his child to us had he understood it before. Let her die, rather. There is no disgrace in death. As he talked and expounded his views, he argued himself further and further away from us in spirit, until he became disgusted with himself for ever having considered giving the baby to us. All this time the baby lay asleep and as we looked at the little face and noted the mother want, the appealing expression of pitiful weariness even in sleep, it was all we could do to turn away and face the almost inevitable result of the conversation. Once the father, a splendid-looking man, tall and dignified, rose and stood erect in sudden indignation. Where is the babe? I will take her away and do as I will with her. She is my child. We persuaded him to wait a while as she was asleep, and we went away to pray. Together we waited upon God, whose touch turns hard rocks into standing water and flintstone into a springing well, beseeching him to deal with that father's heart and make it melt and yield, and as we waited it seemed as if an answer of peace were distinctly given to us, and we rose from our knees at rest. But just at that moment the father went to where his baby slept in her cradle, and he took her up and walked away in a white heat of wrath. The little one was in an exhausted condition, for she had not had suitable food for at least three days. It was the time of our land winds, which are raw and cold to South Indian people, and it seemed that the answer of peace must mean peace after death of cold and starvation. It would soon be over, we knew, twenty-four hours, more or less, and those great, wistful eyes would close, and the last cry would be cried. But even twenty-four hours seemed long to think of a child in distress, and her being so little did not make it easier to think of her dying like that. So, on Sunday morning, I shut myself up in my room, asking for quick relief for her, or—but this seemed almost asking too much—that she might be given back to us. And as I prayed, a knock came at the door, and a voice called joyously, "'Oh, Amma, Amma, come!' THE FATHER STANDS OUTSIDE THE CHURCH. HE HAS BROUGHT THE BABY BACK. BUT THE CHILD WAS ALMOST IN COLLAPSE. WITHOUT A WORD, HE DROPPED THE COLD, LIMP LITTLE BODY INTO OUR ARMS AND PROSTRATED HIMSELF TILL HIS FOREHEAD TOUCHED THE DUST. WE HAD NOT TIME TO THINK OF HIM. WE HARDLY NOTED HIS EXTRAORDINARY SUBMISSION, FOR ALL OUR THOUGHT WAS FOR THE BABE. THERE WAS NO PULSE TO BE FELT. ONLY THOSE FAR TOO BRILLIANT EYES LOOKED ALIVE. WE WORKED WITH RESTORATIVES FOR HOURS and at last the little limbs warmed and the pulse came back. But it was a bounding, unnatural pulse, and the restlessness which supervened confirmed the tale of the brilliant eyes. This little babe had been drugged. From that day on till our prayer day, January 6th, it was one long, unremitting fight with death. We wrote to our medical comrade in Naor and described the symptoms, which were all bad. He could give us little hope, gradually the brilliance passed from the eyes and they became what the tamils called dead the film formed after which none of us had ever seen recovery then we gathered round the little cot in the room we call tranquillity and we gave the babe her christian name Vimala, the spotless one for we thought that very soon she would be without spot and blameless another little innocent in that happy band of innocents who see his face on the evening of the fifth, friends of our own mission, who were with us, seemed to lay hold for the life of the child with such fresh earnestness and faith that we ourselves were strengthened. Next morning we believed we saw a change in the little death-like face, and that evening we were sure the child's life was coming back to her. It was not till then we thought of the father, who, after signing a paper made out for him by our pastor, who was always ready to help us, had returned to his own town. When we heard all that had occurred, we saw how our God had worked for us. It was not fear of his baby's death that had moved the man to return to us. What is the death of a babe? Let her die across my shoulders. He was not afraid of the law. After all persuasions had failed, we had tried threats. The thing he purposed to do was illegal. The collector, chief magistrate, would do justice. What care I for your collector? How can he find me if I choose to lose myself? How can you prove anything against me? and in that he spoke the truth. There are ways by which the intention of the law concerning little children can be most easily and successfully circumvented. Our pleadings had not touched him. Is she not my child? Was her mother not my wife? Who has the right to come between this child of mine and me, her father? And so saying, he had departed without the slightest intention of coming back again. But a power with which he did not reckon had him in sight, and a hand was laid upon him and it bent him like a reed. We hope some ray of a purer light than he had ever experienced found its way into his darkened soul, and revealed to him the sin of his intention. But we only know that he left his child and went back to his own town. God had heard. God had answered. End of chapter 11